thy word. Thank thee, O Lord, for thy spirit that is here. Thank thee, O God, for thy graciousness, thy mercy, thy power, and thy love, Lord. Thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Fourteen years ago, on this spot of ground, I preached a message that against my own will and wishes, I was prompted of God today to bring to you tonight. It's one that I have not preached very many times. I hope I never preach it again. I have felt unusually strongly stirred during this youth camp. I've reached out. I usually preach a more positive uh, line, and uh, those from my church can witness to that fact. But somehow or another in this youth camp, it seems that the Spirit of God is reaching out to someone here that needs to make a decision very pointedly, forever and decisively in their life. And I would invite the entire congregation to be with me and help me tonight in prayer. I would read tonight from St. Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 42nd verse. Our subject for tonight, your first night in hell. Your first night in hell. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dies not, and where the fire is not quenched. And if thou eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its salt in it, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourself, and peace with one another. In the year 1958, I had an appointment in Beaumont, Texas, to meet a man at hotel there. I waited in the lobby for him. I was a bit early. He didn't show up for some time. While I was waiting, I cast about for something to read. Just to the right of me, there was a pamphlet furnished by a travel bureau. The title of the pamphlet was, Your First Night in Paris. I picked it up. I started to read it, and then I laid it aside. I said, there's no point 
reading it because I never will go to Paris, so I laid it down. Then I thought about what my sister-in-law, Opal Ross, had said the summer before as we stood at Niagara Falls. And she said, well, isn't it something? Here I am at Niagara. All my life I've heard about Niagara Falls, but I never expected to go there. And here I am at Niagara Falls. Well, I thought to myself, I may go to Paris someday. And so I picked up the pamphlet and I read it. It was a clever concoction of publicity, assuming the fact that the person read it would go and what he could do the first night that he was in Paris. I read it and I didn't forget it. But I want to address this congregation tonight, adults as well as young people, and tell you that there is infinitely more likelihood that you will go to hell than that you'll ever go to Paris, France. And I want to prove that to you by the scripture. There are three things that's going to happen to you tonight. Number one, unless Jesus Christ comes, you're going to die. Time will not allow you to escape it. Number two, after death will come the judgment. You're going to face it. And number three, for everyone that dies outside of Christ, you will sink into hell. This is the teaching of the Bible. There is a life beyond this life that is just as real as this present moment that we live. Two men were preaching for, for us in Canada. This was in Port Arthur, Texas. One of them was named Brother Priest and the other Brother Dudley. While they were in the process of the meeting, they suddenly had to rush home because that in one of these brethren's churches there had been a tragedy. A man and his son fishing on the river. The boat capsized and the boy drowned. This, this uh, couple only had the one son at home and they missed him. They couldn't get over the fact that their son was no longer there. They wept bitterly. They were very sorrowful and they couldn't get over it. And this went on for about a couple of months. And then one night after they had finished their praying, and retired, the strangest thing happened. I hesitate to tell you about it tonight. If it was not documented in a medical clinic in Canada, that night, after they had retired, the presence of their son came into their room, and they recognized it. And he said to them, he said, Dad and Mom, I know that you have been very sorrowful because that I've been gone. And I know that. I have been allowed to come to tell you something that's going to be a comfort to He said, I was supposed to have died at a later time. Unknown to you, I had a checkup. I had an incurable disease. You can read all about it on my record at the clinic. But the Lord saw fit that I should come home sooner. And said, you can read my record at the clinic. You can rest assured the next morning that these two Pentecostal people, as soon as they could get into that clinic, they were there. They asked to see the record. Of course, they couldn't. The doctor had to read it to them. And in time, he did. And sure enough, their son had an incurable disease and was supposed to have died at a later date. I believe, as sure as I know what my name is, 
that there is a world more real than this world. That when a person quits breathing and they die, they go into that world. It is a living world that people go into, long-lasting and unchanging. I believe that there is a heaven there, and I believe that there's a hell there. I'm thinking of Brother Glass, Brother George Glass's father. I knew him personally. I talked to him. He was my friend. I have seen him many times on the streets of Derrida, Louisiana. Once in a while he came to church. His wife was a godly woman, but Mr. Glass very seldom came to church. And then he got sick. He was in the hospital for some time, and he died. The doctor examined him, pronounced him dead. They pulled the sheet up over his face. The family was there. They fell into sorrow and to tears. There was a contact made with the funeral home. The door was closed to leave the family alone with the corpse and with their grief. But these people who feared God and had faith in God knelt down around the bed, put their hands upon this corpse and prayed, and God raised Mr. Glass from the dead. And when he got out of that hospital, which wasn't long, the first place he went was to church, gave his heart to God, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and baptized in Jesus' name. And his testimony went throughout the little city of Derrida. One of his unbelieving kinfolks mocked him and said, You know that you weren't dead. And he shot back at them and said, Don't tell me I wasn't dead. I was the man that died. And I know where I went. And he said, My feet was already in the fire when something reached down and pulled me out again. Yes, I believe in hell. Not because the Bible school taught me that. Not because this particular organization believes that. Not because the people that I associate with believe that. I know that people can be wrong, put together some kind of a doctrine that can be perpetuated and can still be wrong. But the Bible teaches there is a hell. For every one time that this Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of ten times of hell. For every one time that it speaks of heaven, it speaks ten times of hell. Now I want to talk about it tonight. I want to talk about it with utmost sincerity. I want to be desperately honest. I want to look square in your face tonight. I want to speak to you sanely and objectively about it because I am sure that some of the people that I speak to from this side to this side, there are some people here tonight that will go to hell. Yes, there is. Now, perhaps I am talking to somebody. If I could take you and go to the corner of this building outside tonight and talk to you personally, you would concede to me, Brother Pugh, it's a pretty far-gone conclusion that I will go to hell. Because in conditions so conducive to living for God and being honest with God, I haven't lived for God, and I have not been honest with God to this point. And I have had a lot working for me and going for me, and I have not yet given my heart fully to God. I lie, I cheat, I'm dishonest. I have not laid it all on the altar yet, and since that be true, there is a good chance that I never will. 
Too many things between some of you folks sitting here and God. Too many things. And if there were no professed sinners here tonight, nobody without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I could still stand and preach to you Pentecostals that are here tonight who are going to hell. Some of you will not make it there because our relationship with Jesus Christ is the determining factor whether we get in heaven or not. Not the length of your hair, not the length of your skirt, not the length of your sleeve. And I believe in that too. But then it's how you honestly stand with God tonight in your heart and your relationship. How much do you like to pray? Do you ever cry? Can you forgive? How much love do you have? It's that relationship which makes the difference. If this sounds preposterous to you, take your Bible and read the parable of the tares. When the wheat was sown, the tares were there too, and they grew up together. Read about the net that was cast into the sea, and when it was drawn out, all kinds of fish was in the net, and they were separated. Some were kept, and the others were cast away. Read again the parable of the soils, how the three-fourths of the seed that was sown was wasted seed and was not productive. Read again the parable of the virgins, how that exactly one half of those that expected to go in did not go in. And they all looked alike. They all wanted to go in. They all expected to go in, but they did not go in. And then tonight in this congregation is somebody that's a church lagger, that has not made the consecration, not given your all to God. What does the scripture say? The scripture says the time has come when judgment, when judgment, when judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what shall be the end of those that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous are scarcely be saved, scarcely be saved, scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? So I come to you tonight very sincerely. Your first night in hell. Because I am preaching tonight to some people right here under this tabernacle who will go to hell. A person that does not and will not forgive. After they have heard many sermons on forgiveness, then you know that that person is not honest. How many in our churches will never, 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 never walk the streets of gold? And since you're not going to heaven. And since I am preaching tonight to people who will go to hell, you've been in the same condition that you're in tonight for years. You haven't changed, and there's a good chance that you won't change. I want to talk to you tonight, really, honestly, about your first night in hell. Since you are going there. Since I am preaching to people who will go since there are people in this congregation who will go to hell. Well, let's just, I'm going to do it in a low key tonight. If you're going somewhere, you think about how you're going and how you get there. So let's think about when a person goes to hell, how does he get to hell? How does he move from one place to another so that he ends up in a place that uh, is his eternal abode? Transportation is something that we ought to think about since 
you are going to hell. I am preaching tonight to some people here who are going to hell. And since I am preaching to some people here tonight who are going to hell, my subject is relevant and it's proper. Your first night in hell. What's it going to be like? I want to tell you about it from the scripture. How do you get there? Your transportation. Usually, if you're going to go somewhere, transportation is included in the package. And they say limousine service and such and such a point, and that could mean anything, from just an old shot school bus and to an old beat-up car and so on. But um, they do give you conveyance and, and so on. But when a person either goes to heaven or goes to hell, there is a process of moving from one spot to there or from one spot to there. That other world is just as real and just as actual as this one that we live in. Now, the Bible tells us that Lazarus went to heaven, and the Bible tells us that how he got there. There was a means of transportation afforded. The Scripture says the angels came and took him, and they brought him. They escorted him. He had angelic chauffeurs that brought him right in to the presence of God. Now, when a person goes to hell, there is a process of getting to hell and a way that you get there. There's a certain method of transportation that goes with it. I was caught from behind the strong arms of a man at the uh, prophecy conference in Tulsa two weeks ago. Now, I turned around and looked into the face of an old friend of mine, Titus MacDonald. I remember standing in the corridor of the hospital in Port Arthur when his brother was dying. And uh, I, we were talking about death. And I said to him, I said, Titus, you were real sick last fall, and uh, did you ever think that you might not make it and that you were going to die? And he looked at me, and this is what Titus MacDonald told me. He said, Brother Pugh, I died. I said, what? He said, I died. He said, I don't go around telling that because he said it seems so unreal that many people wouldn't accept it. I said, I'll accept it because I believe that that other world's real. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, you know, I was so sick. And when I saw uh, Granville and I saw Daniel and I saw Benny Ray and I saw the other members of the family come in and mom and dad was there, he said, I realized then that I was real sick and I knew that I might die. And he said, on that particular day when I died, he said that the folks were around and I couldn't get my breath and I was struggling for every breath. And they were praying and calling upon God and said, all of their faces began to swirl away from me and fade. And the noises of their praying voices began to subside and die and fade. And they faded away and they got, they got less and less in my hearing. But he said, as they faded out, there was something else that tuned in. And I began to hear music. It was like the words of an old hymn and a melody that I ought to know. And said, uh, I, I listened to it. And said, I thought to myself, I am dying. But it's not bad. It's not bad at all. I thought it would be horrible. But it's not all that bad. And he said, in time, the noise or the music of that old hymn was so strong. And he said, Brother Pugh, I found myself standing on the edge of a beautiful meadow. And it looked like that they had just mown the grass and it was just nice to walk in. 
And I was, I knew that I had to walk across that meadow. And I felt so good. And I didn't have a care. And I walked and I enjoyed it. And I thought over and over, if this is death, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And he said, then I came to a river. And he said to me, these are his exact words. He said, Brother Pugh, he kind of stutters a little bit. He said, Brother Pugh, he said, uh, so that thing looked like it was a mile across. And I knew I was to cross it. And I waded out into it. But he, he said, I was expecting the waters to get deep. But he said, it never did. And it was nice, and it felt good. And I thought, dying is not bad. It's not bad at all. And he said, I came on across. When I got on the other side, he said, there was a big crowd there. And said, I knew some of them. And said, I felt like I knew them all, but not quite. And they were all expecting me. And they said, we've been waiting for you. And we rejoiced, and in time, they said, they're expecting you in the city. He said, it's yonder. And I turned. And he said, oh, something like a big hill. So there was nothing but a blaze of light and glory. And I turned to go toward it. And then I felt the pull and I turned around. And I went back and said, then the singing faded here. And the praying tuned in. And I found myself again on my bed. Yes, there is a means of transportation. And the person that dies is conscious of moving from one spot and going to another. There is when you go to hell, and I am talking tonight to people who are going to hell. I want to tell you tonight how it's going to be when you go to hell. How you will get there. What it will be like uh, when you are moved from one place to another. What does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 22 verse 13 tells us about a man that came in who did not have the wedding garment. And... The Lord says, Friend, how came his in here without the wedding garment? And he says, Bind this man, hand and foot, and cast him into out of darkness. Throw him out of here. I can remember when I was so small, and I went swimming one time with now some fellows that was much older than myself. I couldn't swim. I was just a small boy. One of the fellows whose name was Jesse Latham, he said, Buddy, you can't swim, and... I said, no, I can't swim. He said, you're going to learn how to swim? And I said, yeah, I'm going to learn how to swim. He said, let me show you how to learn how to uh, swim. And that, that, that swimming hole was 12 foot deep. That fellow picked me up over his head, and he, there was a bank was tall. He threw me like he would throw a stick of firewood right out in the middle of that water, 12 foot water. I fell writhing, grasping, kicking, clutching, screaming right down into that unnatural element, knowing that that meant the end of me. The Bible tells us that this fellow that was transported out of the presence of God, he was cast out of there. He was thrown out of there. I remember years ago preaching for Brother uh, David Gray in San Diego. Into the revival there came a man who never came to church. He was a wicked man in a way, and he had no thoughts of God, but his wife was overjoyed that he came to church. And one night he came to the altar, but the next night he didn't come back to church. And then the next day he came in and he told his wife he wasn't coming, and he was through with it. He didn't intend to seek God, and so she was brokenhearted. She might be ready to come to the revival herself alone that night, and so uh, she did. The next night, however, 
that man was back there. And the next night, that man was the first in the altar. I have never heard such praying in my life. And he told us what had happened the night before. His wife had gone to church. He was left alone in the house. He went to the icebox and got himself some beer. He came back and seated himself with his newspaper. And he was going to enjoy a quiet evening alone. And then he sensed that somebody was in that house. Looking out of his living room and to his left, back towards the kitchen, he was horror-struck to see an apparition moving into his house, so tall that it had to bend over against the ceiling, broad, as broad or broader than this pulpit, handsome, beautiful, powerful, his shoulders strong enough to carry the weight of many empires, arms long and reaching, a face leering and sarcastic as he moved toward him to reach out for him and take him in his grasp. I'm telling you here, friend, the shepherds that conduct the damn souls to hell in eternity are people that are well able to do their jobs. Yes, they are. Take that man and cast him into outer darkness. And again, Matthew 25 and 30, Jesus concludes the, uh, the message about the slothful servant. And he said, Thou wicked and slothful servant. He said, Find him and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Your first night in hell. And I know, I know, I know I talked to somebody tonight that's going to hell. And since you are going to hell, and there's a good chance you'll never change from the way that you have been living. Why you haven't chosen to change, I don't know. But since you've lived this long that way, there's a good chance that you never will. I used to break my head and break my heart about people like that. And I just had to face up to it that just a lot of people won't, or go to hell. And then I had to face the fact that everybody has the right to go to hell if they want to go to hell. And that Jesus himself would not take that right away from them. I tried to take that right away from them, but Jesus wouldn't. He leaves them at that right. And if they want to go, they can go. And I preach tonight to people who aren't going. And this is how that you're going to get there. Your transportation to hell. How that you're going to move from one spot and get down to where your eventual destiny is going to be. Thrown violently away from God. As Saul took the javelin and tried to pin David to the wall with it. Cast out of his presence. Second Peter, the second chapter and verse 4 says that he spared not the angels that sinned, but he cast them down. Now, I want you to notice that word cast. It's used over and over and over relative to a person's expulsion from God. Thrown violently away. Thrown from his presence. He that is able to cast an angel out of heaven, you will be powerless in his grasp. There is nobody that could cut themselves when they are laid hold on by the disposal team of heaven that he's going to rid heaven of its debris and the blossom and the ruin of a sinful life and sweep it clean and cast it out 
into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. How far is it from heaven to hell? And there is an actual heaven, and there is an actual hell. How long does it take to travel from heaven to hell? I guess it's going to how far it is. I was just thinking today about that uh, 747 flying out of uh, New York about two months ago. And when it got near Detroit, flying at 39,000 feet, it began to shudder. And then it fell off to the right. It did a complete barrel roll and plunged straight to the earth and faster and faster. It shot down past the speed of sound. It fell 14,000 feet faster than sound can travel. I thought to myself, if I knew how long it took for them to fall from 39,000 or 14,000, maybe I could think about how long it would take for a person to travel from the heights of heaven. But those folks in that plane placed it against their seat. The G's so great that they couldn't even bend down to help somebody out of the aisle. Plunging straight down, I have thought about how that they must have felt, how they did feel. And the reason the angels rejoice because a sinner comes to God is because, friends, angels know what it means to be cast out. They saw their fellow angels cast out. They saw them thrown violently from heights of the sky. They saw them fall like stars into the fathomless deep. They pursued them perhaps with a blast of the trumpet. That where ancient bars were made in their beds. The place of Tophet. And they saw them consigned there. And I imagine when they winged their way back to heaven, they were in awe and silence because they had witnessed the power of one who with his one red right hand could smite down a cherubim, cast him out, throw him violently away. And again, the Bible tells us, Revelation chapter 19, that the beast and the false prophet, I'm giving you scripture tonight, were taken and they were cast alive into the lake of fire. There have been three instances where people went alive to heaven. They went to heaven with their shoes on, with their clothes. They went to heaven just like they were. Enoch was the first one. Elijah was the second one. And Jesus Christ was the third one. There are three bodies in heaven tonight that went up there with the clothes of earth upon them and dusty sandals upon their feet. Also, Revelation chapter 19 says that the time will come when there are two people upon this earth who will be taken up with their clothes and everything in their pockets, whatever they are at that moment. They saw them confirmed there. And I imagine when they winged their way back to heaven, they were in awe and silence because they had witnessed the power of one who with his one red right hand could smite down a cherubim, cast them out him violently away. And again, the Bible tells us, Revelation chapter 19, that the beast and the false prophet, I'm giving you scripture tonight, were taken and they were cast alive 
into the lake of fire. There have been three instances where people went alive to heaven. They went to heaven with their shoes on, with their clothes. They went to heaven just like they were. Enoch was the first one. Elijah was the second one. And Jesus Christ was the third one. There are three bodies in heaven tonight that went up there with the clothes of earth upon them and dusty sandals upon their feet. Also, Revelation chapter 19 says that the time will come when there are two people upon this earth who will be taken up with their clothes and everything in their pockets, whatever they are at that moment, and they will be cast alive. The Bible says alive, and again it says cast into the lake of burning with fire and with brimstone. I'm talking to you tonight about something that is more real than this pulpit that I am touching. To this extreme wall where these girls are sitting tonight, to this wall back over here, between these two walls, there are people I preach to tonight. Some of you will go to hell. This is according to the teaching of God's Word. This is according to the equations that he strikes. And so he describes it. Better to go into heaven, heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. And, and on and on he goes. Thus, tonight, your trip to hell is going to be turbulent. It's going to be harsh. It's going to be appalling. It's going to be a terrible thing. Your first night in hell. And I preach tonight to some people that will go to hell. What about your accommodations when you get there? Ordinarily, when you arrive in a place where you like to think what's waiting me and, and what, what I'm going to be treated to and so on. I remember one time I had to drive from Port Arthur, Texas up into the heart of Tennessee and begin their first youth camp that night. And I couldn't leave Port Arthur until up in the morning. And those were days when I was very young and very foolish. And I just lived wide open, and, and I drove wide open, and, and <clears throat> so that car wasn't worth very much after that trip. And it was a wide open thing. But as the sun began to slant down, and I could smell the burning oil in that motor, and that thing taking as much as it would go every time I could make it go that fast, and my shoulders began to ache, my neck was stiff, my head began to, began to ache, I began to long if I could get there 30 minutes early. If there is a place that I could go and step under a cold shower, if I could lay straight out on a bed just for a little while, if I could just rest a little bit before I get in the pulpit tonight. I wanted that so bad. And so, you know, sometimes what a motel doesn't say is quite significant. If it doesn't say that it's air condition, if it doesn't say some things where you can take, uh, take for granted that it's not there. Well, now, you folks that are going to hell tonight, and I am preaching tonight to some people here that are going to hell, and you folks that are going to hell, when you get there, your first night there, what will you find when you get there? First of all, you're going to be tired. You've come from the judgment, and the Bible calls it the judgment day. And you've stood all day in the judgment. The scriptures doesn't say that you sit in the judgment. It says that you stand in the judgment. There is no seat 
You have witnessed so many beautiful goodbyes. You have heard the mournful laments and the screams of people as the people thrown and hurled away. And you have gone through that. Now you arrive in hell late. You're lonely. And you can, uh, you saw the books closed. You saw the end of it all. And you begin to think of home. Everyone that I'm preaching to tonight could close your eyes and remember your home. You could think of your living room right now and the coffee table and the Bible on the coffee table. You could think of other things about your house. When you get to hell, your first night there, you're going to see that living room. You're going to see that coffee table. You're going to see that Bible. You're going to remember things. I'm talking to you objectively. I'm talking to you sanely. I'm speaking to people who will go to hell because you haven't changed in the last five years. And you're worse tonight than you have ever been before. Your heart is harder now than it's ever been. There's got to be a time when you stop. There's got to be a time when you say, I've had it enough. There's got to be a time when you turn around. You seem to witness to me today that there were six in this youth camp that would make a final decision. Make a final decision. And so, perhaps you think of home when you're thirsty. There was no place to stop on the way down to pick up a cold coke. And uh, <clears throat> when you arrived at hell, there's nothing to drink. By these that Jesus saw in hell, and I don't know how long he'd been in hell when Jesus saw him, but he had been there long enough to know that if there was any water in hell, it had to be brought in from the outside. And he said, if you would bring just enough that would hang up on the end of a man's finger, I would be happy and cool my tongue. He knew that from the rocks of that damnation that there was no gushing streams. He knew that there was no place of safety and of comfort in hell. I was in Phoenix some time back and somebody said, that's Mr. Rickley's uh, palace. But that place has 60 bathrooms in it. Bedrooms galore. It was a palace. It sat on the top of a mountain. But the place that I'm talking about tonight is not a palace that you're going to. It's a pit. The Bible tells us that it is a pit and that it is filled with corruption. And again, Rockefeller's home was upon a gigantic trap and it turned so that his bedroom had sunlight all day long. But the place that I'm talking about tonight, friend, is no beautiful vistas, no windows of beauty, but nothing but the steep walls of the pit. It is a concentration pit and Job at chapter 17 tells us that it has gates and those gates have bars and there are doors to that place. This is what the Bible says about it and this is what you'll see your first night in hell. And I'm preaching tonight to some of you that are going. I'm telling you what you're going to see when you get there. Because I'm preaching tonight to some people, both adults and young people. Some of you folks are going. The Spirit just witnesses to me that I'm preaching to somebody tonight that you've deceived yourself. You know what the Bible says about some things. But you have overridden your conscience. You have heard the preacher preach so many times. You have read the Bible yourself and you shoved it aside. You're in bad shape tonight. 
You may never crawl out of that hole that you're in. You may never reach that level of honesty. You may never come to that place where you can really repent. God, I'm preaching to somebody that might just go to hell. Your first night in hell. And I don't know how it is that when you get there, how that you will be deposited in hell. We talked about transportation. When you arrive, it may be that you'll be dropped into the center. I was over Niagara Falls Whirlpool. I never shall forget 250 feet up in a car. I looked down 250 feet and I saw the slow swirl of that water. That water was 150 feet deep. And the man in the car said, if any of you folks fell out of here and fell into that whirlpool, nobody, nobody would ever get you out. I don't know where you will be deposited in hell when you get there your first night. It may be that you'll be thrown in at the center and you will fall right straight down into that mass of writhing, squirming people that are lost and without God. It may be that you would. I don't know. It may be that you might be thrown in at the side. And if you're cast in at the side, you'll have the privilege of getting a lot of sight your first night. You will streak down the side of hell faster than any elevator ever carried you down. You will witness millions and millions of screaming, tortured people clinging to the hot rock. Your first night you're going to get your eyes full if you come in at the side. Yes, you will. I am not preaching a final tale. If this Bible is true, my sermon is true. If it is true, I am a preacher. I believe every word I'm saying tonight. I preach out of a very hot heart and with a servant spirit. I preach to people tonight who will go to hell. How far will you fall that first night? I don't know. I've had the Holy Ghost for four months. We hadn't made much effort to get my mother to church. Mother was a good woman, sincere, but she didn't go to the Pentecostal church and was very opposed to us at first. But one night, God gave me a dream of my mother, and I saw my mother in hell. It was one of those God-given dreams. I saw her come sweeping by me, her long hair washing in the fire. She reached her big brown hands up to me, and she called my nickname. She said, oh, buddy, 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 help me, help me. And then she was gone. I got the feeling that underneath her, that there was millions and millions of squirming people like worms, and, and that they were shutting one another down and standing and clawing and tearing at each other, and that they were drowning one another in a sea of fire. And they were choking and brimstone was ever flat. And they were trying to get to the top. And something dragged my mother away. And I never did and never could forget that. Well, across where I am staying, so such a comedicious place, there's a nice restaurant. And I, I, all I've got to do is go over there and get something to eat. But when you get to hell the first night, there won't be anything to eat. You will be without supper, and there will be nothing to drink, and there will not be a bed your first night in hell. You'll be born weary, 
and you'll be tired, and there will be no comfort for you. I want to say that you're going to be surprised your first night in hell. Some of you people over this side, all across here and back here, I'm preaching to somebody tonight, you're going to be surprised that you yourself went. It is possible for a person to so deceive themselves until they don't, they're not able to really face truth. And finally, when it's too late, you wake up that really the Bible did mean what it said. Every line of it. Surprised that I ended in hell. And then some of you children, some of you young people are going to be surprised when you meet your mother there. And you thought that your mother was a good woman. Some of you are going to be surprised to see your dad there. Some of you are going to be surprised to see your Sunday school teacher there. Some of you are going to be surprised to see your pastor there. Yes, you will. Because there's going to be some surprises in hell. There was a girl that was, was so filled with hate because of her background. And Sister Pugh and myself, we tried to minister to the entire family. They turned on us with such spite. They did everything they could to, to ridicule us and, and to hurt us. And they didn't quit the church. They just came to church to make fun and, and to hurt. We would bring groceries to them and, and try to help them. And they, we acted, they acted like we were their enemy. And we'd never done anything but good for them. And so one day, this, one of these girls got up older. And I made a last attempt to reach her. And she flung off my, uh, my care and my effort to save her. And uh, then later on, she sent word back to me. And she said, tell Brother Pew that I'll meet him in hell. And so this party dutifully brought the message to me. And so I saw her and I talked with her and, and she told me to tell you that she would meet you in hell. And this other person laughed because they thought that was foolish to think that this girl would meet me in hell. I didn't laugh. There are better preachers than I'll ever be in hell tonight. Yes, there is. There are preachers that have pastored longer than I pastored in hell tonight. Yes, I tell you, there is no theology that will abrogate the verity of this Bible. God is no respecter of person. He spared not the angels that sinned. He spared not his own son. He spared not the natural branches that he cut about. And I'm preaching to somebody tonight who never will come confront yourself. You never will be honest with yourself. You played the hypocrite too long. If I meet you in hell, you folks that are sitting here, I promise you I'll hide my face. I'll be ashamed. I'll flounder all through the fire. I'll try to get away. I'll have enough painful memories that I won't want to talk to you. And then you're going to be afraid your first night in hell because you're going to meet the worst people of this earth. You're going to meet the murderers of gangland that could etch their initials with a tommy gun. You're going to meet men that are nice, artists with knives that can murder and kill a man on his feet without knocking him down and know just where to stab him. I was reading just yesterday how that that fellow who took 37 young boys, just like some of you fellows sitting right here tonight your age, in Houston, Texas, they had a gigantic torture board. It was to contrive so they could lay it flat or they could stand it up. And they had handcuffs in four different places on this torture board. And they would spread all these young boys on that torture board. Sexual uh, uh, situations were conducted with them. And this under torture, and even while 
man just a little bit at a time as it molested them sexually. You meet that man from hell. And it's going to be a lot more than just laughing in hell. That man that sent the 13 women in Los Angeles. They discovered that he's got a split personality. One part of him is named one thing and one another. What a weirdo that guy is. You meet him in hell, girls. Yes, you will. You meet those queer ones from India. From the distant statues of Mongolia in Russia. That strange characters are coming to hell from that point. And from the Middle East, the strange characters so filled with hate from the Middle East. You'll be sitting in hell. You'll be afraid your first night in hell. And the thing that's going to strike you so forcibly is the fact that there's no policeman. Because we're used to a land of order when we get there. This is not a land of order. Hell is a manhouse. It is a prison without God. It is where the righteous of the earth have gathered. If you wish to expose your naked breath, you've got to get your beautiful letter of hell, friend. You've got to come into a letter where there is no shame, where there is no wrath, where there is no doubt. You'll be afraid your first night in hell. I am preaching tonight to people that are going to hell. I am preaching to people tonight that haven't been able to be honest with yourself for years. You haven't had a real good case of repentance in a long time. You've said a few little old women on the sweet prayers and got up and got on ahead with your hating and with your mind and your cheating and your cracking. God, the morning is about me tonight. I'm not preaching to somebody in this congregation. I'm preaching to somebody here tonight that's going to hell. And I want to tell you about your first night there. I'm afraid that you're not going to enjoy your first night in hell. There's that girl that wanted to go to Paris. She was poor. Her parents were not able to send her. She kept on, kept on, kept on. Finally, the dad, he mortgaged the house to get enough money and gave that to her as a graduation present. And so she went to Paris. She got there and got into a room, and she was about 12 floors up, and they gave her a room that overlooked in, uh, one of those streets of uh, Paris. She unpacked her, her clothes, and she anticipated tomorrow. And then just the bed turned the light out and pulled the, the, the curtains back. She raised the window and looked out upon the quaint streets of a foreign city. The tinkle of laughter came up to her up on the night breeze. She saw the lights of this strange town that she had wanted to visit for so long. But as she looked upon those lights and heard those sounds, she thought of her mother and dad and how much it cost them to put her there. And she couldn't really say that she enjoyed being in Paris. She was lonely, and she wished that she was home. When you get to hell, and your first night in hell, you're going to wish that you were home. You're going to wish that you were in church. You're going to see the sheep count. You're going to see the sweaty face of this preacher. You're going to hear his horse voice. You're going to see his swinging hands. You're going to remember everything that's simmering between you and, and the bliss of heaven as the smoke of 10,000 times 10,000 burning fires. You're going to look at it, and you're going to wish that you were not there. You're going to stick it to hell, and you're going to remember endlessly then the sins that sit you there, the opportunities you have to be saved. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You're going to remember the sermons of tears. You're going to remember the songs 
that's up to you. Yes, you are. And you're going to remember it. Here you make every effort to afford deep thought. And you don't want to think about those things. But that thing you've got to remember. Upon this earth, a person can read a book and get away from thinking. They can look at a movie and get away from it. They can look at a biography and forget it. They can do other things and forget it. If they get so bad, the doctor can give them pills and knock them out. They can take a pistol and blow their brains out and hope to get out of it all. But then I'm here to tell you that there is no doctors in hell, that there's no pills in hell, that there's no football games in hell. I'm here to tell you there's no doctors in hell. I'm here to tell you there's no doctors in hell. There's no pistols in hell. There's no way to stay to get away from it. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. There is no person. There is no doctor. There is no rest. There is no hope. And you look up, and you're going to see heaven. You're going to see people that you know in heaven. I believe that. I believe it with all of my heart. God, he's looked and saw Lazarus at Abraham's bosom. I'm talking about a real Bible. I'm talking about real words. I don't, your friend, I, I believe we ought to take that book just like it is. I believe it, dear God, I must not believe that Bible. And I know what I'm talking about tonight. Your first night in hell. I am preaching tonight to people here, adults and young people, who will go to hell. And you're going to remember that you had the same opportunity that those people had. And between you and them is the smoke of 10,000 fires. And in the smoke, you're going to see etched in letters of doom that word forever and forever, forever and forever. Hell is a world without hope, friend. It is a world where people give up hope. And you listen, and out the other subway in the corner of hell, you hear an ancient sing song. It's not one word, it's not one note, it's not one cadence, and it's forever and forever, forever and forever, forever and forever. You look around about you, into the glazed eyes of people that tumble, that squirm like worms in hot sand, that claw, and the rest in their mouths scream that one word, but sing it forever and forever, forever. And forever, forever, and forever, forever, your God is forever, forever, and 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 forever. This is what the Bible teaches us. And I'm preaching tonight the people that will go tonight because that I feel for Pentecostal young people who have made a mark of church and you played with it 
and you did miss honest about praise, and you talked about people in the church, and you talked about your pastor, and uh, all of these things, and you're in a bad shape inside tonight. Somewhere, friend, if you're ever going to be saved, you've got to stop some of that stuff, and you've got to quit. When the cold, cold hand of your enemy death has silenced your heart and suspended your breath, when friends bowed in grief your dead body surround, oh, where, careless one, will your first soul be found? Deep down in hell, where all Christless ones go, immersed in despair and surrounded with woe, your soul will be wailing in tiniest cry for the groans of the lost as they bitterly sigh. Salvation was free, but you clung to your sin. God would have saved you had you yielded to Him. The Spirit outstrode, but you said to Him, Don't, and now you're in hell, Mr. Thomas and Woe. He carried along on that fiery wave, and no heart to pity, and no one to save. Your sins will rend as you go running by the earth, your anguish, and they'll mock your sad cry. Forever and ever, deep down in the fire, your woes will increase, and your gods will not higher. Your cries will not rise in the caverns of hell, but are called all of the dark demons dwell. In hell, the curtains will forever be pierced. In hell, the curtains of the world never pierced. In hell, the torments have never an end. In hell, where the wicked and anguish descend. Who is it tonight that will be first to come? Is there somebody here tonight that says, I know I've cheated. I know I have not been honest. I know I have not been true. I know I have not really repented in a long time. But I want to get down. I want to get my feet on the rock. I want to find God. And I tell you tonight, there is some adults here that need to pray. There are some adults here tonight that need to get their feet upon the rock. I have preached strongly tonight. I have no apology for anything that I say. I have preached on the anointing. Yes, I have. Is there anybody else? I think all of us tonight ought to find the place of prayer. Let us stand. Let us all stand. And I wonder if we can make this a universal altar call. Saints, preachers, we need you around this altar. Yes, we do. We need you on this altar. We need you on this altar. Praise God, praise God. A call upon God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, let's get all that God tonight.